Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Welcome to the 551 podcast. My name is Wes Verdine. This guy across from me is Jeff Ruder. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Hey, Wes. I'm, uh, I'm stuck right now, thanks to you. Because, uh, you threw in a question into the notes last second and yeah. didn't tell me, and you're starting with the question. Yeah, I'm going to start with this question because it's special Valentine's Day uh, episode. Um, and I'm going to start this uh, with um, who's your who's your soccer Valentine, Jeff? Well, it couldn't be Luis Suarez because he's bitey. Um, hey, unless that's your thing, and then right. good for you. Uh, Ray Hudson's a little too loud. For my taste, I, I couldn't keep it quiet. You know, honestly, Ray Hudson. There's, there's just no chill button. No, you know, no. It'd be like, you know, it, we just want to. I just want to chat. I, I wouldn't I be like, hey, Ray, do you want to come over and Netflix and scream with me? Yeah, like, exactly. uh, you can't really do that unless you're watching yeah. messy clips, uh, l- like the soccer player Messi, not like some messy clips. Yeah. I would say uh, it's Ian Dark. That's got to be mine. We're actually gonna oh. stick with the announcers. Okay. I haven't watched a game. That he's called of the U.S. national team where I haven't gotten at least a tingle yeah. probably every five minutes. There's something about Ian Dart calling a game that I just can't get enough of. Yeah. All right. That's that's good. Mine is Dimitar Berbatov. Oh. I've talked about him on this show before. but The first. There's, there's something about a uh, dark... <laughs> A mysterious man who you know smokes Galois. That just like it does it for me. So um, this is the uh, Dimitar Berbatov to Minnesota United link we've all been oh, waiting for. Oh, I dream, I dream of it. I just, <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- there's, uh, I, I want to. I'm curious of other people's soccer valentines. Th- those um, deep, uh, un- unabiding uh, soccer crushes that you have. And uh, so let us know. Um, uh, tweet that uh, at us or, or, or send emails. Um, the the rest of this episode, we are going to be talking about actual watching of soccer. We've it's finally back. Mm. We finally get to, we have watched games and we can talk about them, which is weird. I'm out of practice. Thank the it's Lord, our preseason too. It's back. Yeah, yeah. So we're still trying to get into it. Um, we we also have uh, weird stories of people trying to watch soccer from uh, hospital uh, fake hospital beds, and uh, we've got uh, Liga MX uh, coming up as well, and so. That's going to be the show. Let's do the music thing. It's music from Big Quarters, and we'll be back. Everyone feels good about the Welcome back. Yeah, yeah. How can you not? Welcome back to the 551 podcast. We're going to get that extra juicy banter in here. My name is Jeff. Wes is across from me, and we're going to do the good, the bad, and the weird, our weekly whip around of stories that happen outside of Minnesota, and we'll start with the good, not quite as good as Dimitar Berbatov, no. but um, pretty historic, actually. Um, Liga MX has been probably, I, I think it's still the most watched league by U.S. Yes, yeah, yeah okay. in the U.S., yes. But the, the problem is it was always hard to kind of access it in English. Um, for a bunch of lay people. And now, Liga MX has a deal where they're going to be showing, what is it, 46 matches streamed through... Did you say lay people or white people? Lay people. Okay. Well... <laughs> I, I was uh, trying to figure out what you're... Yeah, the, but the, the story here, yeah, is Liga MX is going to be partnering with Facebook or putting their English language content, all their games, on Facebook starting basically, basically next week. Right. So... This is pretty fantastic. It's a huge uh, I mean, piece of news. It, I, I, I've always, it's like the Bundesliga where the two are, are leagues that I've always wanted to be like, I always commit to like watching more, have bad New Year's resolutions and, and just never follow through. Um, it's always for me needing to find some sort of, you know, if, in Germany, it's usually whoever, whichever Americans are on, are on teams. Right. But usually, I just need a rooting cause. That's why I haven't been good at wa- watching MLS seasons. Sure. By June, I just kind of get bored, and I'm like, eh, I'll wait until playoffs. Um, but I, I think Pumas are my just because I like the jerseys. It's a totally, totally lame version. But reason. you're an Adidas guy, aren't you? Uh, I I do I mean, wear you're wearing socks, but I do wear uh, yeah I do wear um uh, Adidas shoes. So, but we both don't have shoe Pumas, sponsors Pumas. yet. We don't have sponsors. Yeah, the two of us. So yeah, Pumas, Adidas. I, whoever Pumas, wants. To, I know that's a I club don't think Pumas, of the, the I don't think their jerseys are necessarily necessarily. That'd be weird, wouldn't Puma. it? If they were, I I don't know. That'd be synergy or, at its yeah. finest. Uh, anyway, 
<laughs> All this stupid <laughs> lame stuff aside, that is pretty awesome news. Just means that much more soccer coming into into the country. And now that uh, um, uh, Maxi Rodriguez has has shamed everyone into uh, uh, needing to become a Liga MX fan, and there was that that week where uh, where Maxi's shame went around uh, the Twitter sphere. For those who don't know, Maxi is. One of the one of the shame givers of, of Twitter. So. One other really interesting part of this is that one thing that was looked at, you know, with every time a league signs a TV contract, there's always kind of a whisper of, will fans actually still have ESPN in 2018? You know, if how if you put your game on BN, how are you going to be able to watch it? If ESPN three, you know, like some of these things you see with the NASL. So it'll be really interesting to see because I think this is in partnership with Univision. Yeah, yep. where. What is the profit point? Like, is there any sustainable way for them to do this besides Facebook being like we had? To, I don't know if Facebook even threw money. I didn't even look that closely into it. There's probably some money involved, but yeah, you're right. That that's the big question. Like, this is sure, certainly getting it out there uh, quite a bit. Does it bring in as much money as the regular Univision deal? Does it get? Does it mean that Univision is uh, giving up something? I, I'm not sure. But um, the the bad is and. The bad is a, a Minnesota United thing, and I, I've separated it off. Usually we have our own Minnesota United section. I've separated it off here so we can just do bad and then talk about games. And this is just, uh, you know, I mentioned it last week, um, the the kind of weird lack of buzz that, that you, you feel around the Twin Cities. And I was going to write something and then realized I'll rather do it on the podcast because most of the people who listen to this are Minnesota United fans, and then I'm not airing dirty laundry to the to the. To MLS public at large, sure. Just doing it here to the, the these kind of within the club, yeah. I, but let me let me just read this. And I did this literally all off the top of my head. Orlando, when they were an expansion team, they did a paint the city campaign where they hired local artists to create murals throughout the city. Portland had a massive billboard campaign that wrote this kind of iconic image of. The fans with the scarves, but also the fans with the axe. Mm -hmm. uh, Seattle had the Scarf Seattle or Seattle Scarf um, website. They blanketed the city in scarves and then uh, had created this website for people to share all these images. Uh, Atlanta built a soccer pitch downtown right next to a transit stop. Those are just the ones that I remember. I forget what Philly did. Vancouver did something that was like, it was a bit a of poutine cook-off or something. Yeah. Um, I I don't know what Minnesota's doing. And we know that, you know, this Friday, there's a big event. They're going to unveil their kits. I'm sure it'll be awesome. I'm yep. sure Home and away a, on those, by the way. Yeah, okay. Yep. I'm sure it'll be a great event. They've also had, they've had uh, commercials on TV. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the general sense that I get when I talk to because people talk to me all the time about soccer on, you know, I'm like, they come up and talk to me about it. And there is a very palpable lack of buzz about it. And that's what I, I'm worried about. And it, it's not my, I don't need to be worried about it. I don't work for the team. Right. Right. So in some ways I don't need to care. That's the great thing about being a fan. All we have to care about is cheering on the team and stuff like that. But at the same time, like six years ago, lots of people were meeting with politicians and doing all these things to save soccer in Minnesota. Like, I have put a lot of like time yeah. and blood and sweat into this this type of stuff. A lot of people have, not just me. It's just Wes. Yeah, Wes just has me. been writing letters. No, like he sent twenty four yeah. emails from one computer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, just like like there's a lot of people who have put a lot into this, and so. Yeah. We want it to be a big success, and there is a worry, a legitimate worry, I think, that there is, what is the campaign? And I emailed the team, and I said, hey, I'd love to tell the positive story of, like, what are you doing? Do You don't have to lay out your campaign. You can let it, but, like, and they didn't want to. They were not interested, And which, like, yet again, it's like, here's a chance to have, do positive story. But The only thing I can think of is maybe the plan is imminent. And it's like, we're going to be doing this. But uh, you you asked about this last week, if I remember right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, that's that's such a... It's tough to tell the point where it's, do they have a plan? Or what does talking about the plan in advance do? But right now, they, they kick off their season in, what, three weeks? 
there's always a way to tell a positive story. You don't have to tell all the details. So I'll move on, but I just wanted to bitch about that. Um, weird. You tell the weird story so you can like cleanse our palate here and, and move all us out right. of negativity. And uh, we'll, we'll do it in a nice sanitary <laughs> confine, too. Um, there was a story that the Washington Post had put out. Um, with the headline, Man Fakes Illness and Failed Attempt to Check into Hospital with View of Sold Out Soccer Game. It's one of those cases where the headline tells you the whole story, and you, yep. which is why nobody reads stories anymore. So when I wrote, when I literally copy-pasted a Raymond Carver short story title and changed one word in it last week, people were like, yeah, and I didn't get a single, like, I'm assuming this is a riff off of Ray Carver tweet, and that bummed me out. What we talk about when yeah. we talk about depth. Um, so... I mean, Back to the sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I guess I guess there should be more. Um, yeah, I, I got it. Maybe yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I didn't like publicly say. I, hey, good. That was a good, next time. I, a next time I have a. And that was it. Was just I, you would think that the doctor would do that, but I guess not. I'm the sorry. doctor was out. But speaking of doctors, um, this fan lived in Croton, and uh, Juventus was in town. And he couldn't get tickets to yeah, it was the a match. Sold, it was small, small stadium, mm-hmm. tiny game. Sold Juventus out. is in town, and so, so they actually it was not just this guy. Like, apparently, it was like lots of people. Yeah, that I'd they, believe it. They the there's a hospital right next to the stadium, so you have a perfect view of the stadium. Mm-hmm. So lots of people were pretending to be sick, and, and this guy was caught wearing a Juventus kit. <laughs> And they were, and so when he was trying to fake his illness, but was wearing the colors of the other team, yeah. and they're all like, "Hey, man!" Yeah, they they actually closed visiting hours and all these things, so people didn't sneak in and like hide. So, yes, uh, uh, <laughs> the obsessive. <laughs> there's gonna be lots of people trying to get into uh, into the uh, pine. Oh tree, yeah, the, the pine tree center, pine tree, center. and then the, the pet hospital. Yeah, yeah, to, so that they can look over <laughs> in, into the stadium. Um, okay. Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk Minnesota United and actual games. Welcome back to the 551 podcast. It's Wes and Jeff and now we're talking about games. We've had two preseason games that we've actually been able to watch. Um and so it's pretty damn exciting. Uh, I did you get to watch the Sunday night game? I know you were working. Have you been able to see anything other than the highlights? I watched the highlights. Okay. I was hoping they'd post the stream, but you stream for whatever reason wasn't working yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'll take you through that. But the the game, uh, the first game that we can talk about is Minnesota United one, Vancouver Whitecaps one. Uh, snoozer of a first half. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. I mean, it was zero zero, uh, and there was actually an empty stadium. And you could you could tell there were like ten fans in the crowd, and if they would cheer for something, it'd be like, "Oh, the Minnesota supporters are cheering." It's like, yeah, it's Rick, Paula, <laughs> Kathy, and Mort. The four yeah. of them are cheering. I, you know, so Mort is a Mort is a lifelong hard. though. He has gone to every road game. And good old Mort, good old sweet sweet Mort since the kickers days. Um, that's not even a team, but he supported them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, first half was. Pretty dull. Um, it was close to what we thought a starting eleven might look like for Minnesota, though. Main thing there was was Dunlady, and then I, I wrote the piece uh, after the game uh, about playing a. It was basically a four-one-four-one. You know, right? We had we had been constantly talking about the four-two-three-one. This is how Heath plays, etc. So I was I was trying to look at well, if this is because he did play two. One of the other, uh, well, the other preseason game we knew about the Revolution uh, Revs game. They played a four one four one as well. Yeah, and so my question was, what does this mean? What are the p- problems it poses? I had a a, um, uh, a, a very expert person uh, send me a message the next day, which was which was also to to kind of say, well, they kind of lined up that way because Vancouver were in a four four two, so uh, <laughs> so that's why. Which yes was a point that I did not cover, and and but I was largely thinking of. Uh, of the way in which uh, the the team was kind of here, the, here if they are going to do this, because obviously they are going to try this, and it did work in some ways. Sure. What are the problems? What does it What does it do for the team? 
the the next game they did line up with with a number ten or or a second striker. But, yeah, but that was an interesting. See Dunlady, and Dunlady was very isolated in that role. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in the question section. We got a really long question from a, a guy, Dave Carey, um, who asks a lot about Heath tactics. Yeah, and not just like the you know from a player perspective because Jamie can give us that, but um, we've seen I mean two games, but we've also seen. Uh, and as Kate Sophia will point out, two games is all you need to watch in order to clearly know everything about. Um, yes. I told you I'd do that. And uh, But we'll talk about it a little bit more because I think that uh, we're starting to see what a Heath team really looks like, and Orlando was yeah. not as much that. And, and the, the Vancouver game was really sloppy still. The, go- the two goals were uh, Molino got, his, got the Olimpico... Uh, people will say it was an own goal, but the ball was going in. It glanced off Hurtado's head. Um, it, it it was the goalkeeper was not in his right mind. He was not thinking about it. I'll bet since Marius Rovdi uh, uh, used to be his coach, I'm sure he was uh, very <laughs> very pleased or angry about the guy. Um, and then uh, the Russell Tybert goal that happened was basically a a long shot. Alfberger or Alfie, as I call him. Alfie uh, punches the ball. Yeah, Alfie. I gave you him do? a nickname. Yep. Weird. All right. I, him, I have I have a bunch of new nicknames I'm rolling out. Wow. Alfie. Uh, well, Alfberger was the other one, but then I, I just like, I cut it to Alfie. I like Alfberger. I'm Alf, picturing the puppet. Yeah, Alfie sliced sure. up. Mostly because it's yeah yeah. So um, Alfie punches the ball. You know, it goes to Russell Tiber. Then he he has a good shot off, but it, it's some Keystone cops defending. That's fine. It's a preseason game. The nice things that we did see, I think the break that led to the corner that Molino scored off of was mm-hmm. really good. You had um, uh, Ibarra and who uh, Molino coming in centrally to play off of uh, Dunlady. Dunlady has a decent, you know, brings the ball down just fine. And uh, then Molino and Ibarra are off to the races, and then Ibarra sends in a great shot. You know, no one has looked fantastic yet, except for perhaps Molino. And maybe, I mean, it's one match, but you could maybe say Johan Venegas. Bashkin yeah. Kadri's actually stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, in two. terms of, in terms of, yeah. Oh, but I, as I far thinking, as someone who you look at and you're like, well, they're already ready to start every single week, stuff like that? Yes. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. fair. I, I'd say that, that so far. And anything else from that match? I mean, we can go to the other one and, and compare, but. Yeah, let's go to the other one and then okay. let's contrast the two. So, Portland 2, Minnesota United 2. Um, the only the only players I would think would be starters on March third when we play Portland, who started that night would be Molino, Kadri, uh, Johnny Vegas, which is my nickname for uh, Johan Venegas. Nice, yeah, Johnny Vegas and Alfie. Um, those guys I think will all start. Here's a here's a question for you from at Jeff Ruder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of the players, if you look at the roster now, we've seen them play a couple of times. Um, who are you confident in saying are in the opening week 11 right now? Like, I say there's five. Okay, go. Okay, go? Yeah, yeah, okay, go. No, no who's, who's, who are your five? <laughs> I, um, Alfie, I'm mm-hmm. going to try these out. Calvo. Yeah. Demidov. Yeah. Molino. Might be four. Because, Schuler. Schuler's going to start. Oh, Schuler. Yeah, Schuler yeah. was actually on my list. I typed at home. That's it. I think other than that, there's so many floating pieces. Um, I talked to Adrian Heath earlier in the evening, and we'll talk about Josh Gott a little bit too because he wasn't in either of these matches, but it's worth talking about. But that's five attackers who are playing three well, positions, let's, basically. Let's bring that up. The, the news is that um, Josh Gott, uh, American uh, who plays in, in Norway the last few years for Moldy, um, He's had a couple of years injured. He's 25, at maybe two years out mm-hmm. because of various knee injuries. And um, he was out of contract December. When Manny went over to Scandinavia, that was the first name on my mind. And that was the first person I asked Manny about. Um, because he was tipped to be a really big star. I mean, he's really fast, really skillful, mm-hmm. mainly a right winger as, as far as I've ever seen him play. Um, which actually, let's be honest. I've I've 
only watched one moldy game in my life. So. Proud of you. So watched lots more of highlights most, of him. Yeah. Put him on um, Facebook. But uh, but he's a great player. I'm really surprised they pulled this off. Uh, we you know we for the last like three months have just been randomly emailing every Norwegian we knew <laughs> uh, to try to track this down, and it, and it ended up happening. So to get back to you and Heath, now you've got for these. Front three positions, right? Because all of these guys playing those attacking roles behind mm-hmm. the striker, all of them can play a different version of that, right? They can absolutely. So you've got uh, Ibarra, you've got Bashkim Kadri, you've got Johnny Vegas, you've got Kevin Molino, and you've got Josh Gott. Am I missing anyone? Those are the main five. Those are the five who could all play left wing, right wing, number ten, or secondary striker. However right. you want to think about it. Who plays, right? Did you, you ask Molino has to. Yeah. Molino has to play, right? Right. I mean, that's that's a must. He's he's the most talented player on this team, pure and simple. So he has to play, and he can play as a number 10 or on the right wing. I f- so far, he's only played on the right wing. Yeah, no, that's true. So. Um, we're, we're tapping into that whole feelings bank, which is not a great place to prognosticate from, but we're going there. And... It's preseason. We've barely seen anything, so we're going I, yes, with feelings. So yeah. we're going with feelings. I feel like Miguel Ibarra is going to be in the opening day 11. You know, I, I think that there's just the continuity of it, the narrative of it, and they gave him the number 10 jersey. I um, I You know what's funny is I feel the opposite. Um, I, I think that Miguel, in particular, I think Miguel has a very big... Even if Miguel does not start, Miguel has a really big role to play mm-hmm. because Miguel, like we've said multiple multiple times has so much of an engine he you know is more than just his speed he plays so much of a role defensively but i i think wednesday we're gonna see who can play out left other than uh miguel um we can talk about the portland game because ish uh uh jome played out there on the left and uh some people thought he did really well i thought he was fine i thought he um, there were certainly some problems with his play, but he was more impressive than I think most people expected from him. Right. Um, so, uh, but I don't, he's still a guy who n- needs to be loaned out. There's no way, I don't think that he... For minutes sake. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, don't, right. I don't think that he's ready to, to play MLS. I think he, he definitely has a future. But, um, so, you know, we don't know. Is Kadri is, is the other one who probably would, would play out there. I'd say the way Kadri played... the. Uh, on Sunday night, I-, I want him on the pitch. Absolutely, I want him, and, him, Vegas, and uh, and Molino out there. Okay, I would counter with um, the reason you talked about Miguel having a role to play. I think that the reason you need to start him then is because you don't have to worry about really subbing him, and so then you can say, okay, we've got these five players. One of them at least one of them has to go the full 90 no matter what. And if you know that he's got that motor and he's he's also shown the most defensive prowess of any of the five, um, Gott hasn't showed any minutes, so that's kind of a little unfair to say, but of the four who have actually played, Miguel's the one who's looked most interested in playing defense to me. And so if you put him on the left and then you have Molino out right and Johnny Vegas at number 10 or second striker or Kadri... And then swap in Kadri and Venegas sure. for the run of play. I think that would work to me. Okay. So that's what I would do. All right, let's let's talk about this game. So first fifteen minutes, it's Portland, Portland, Portland. They are, um, you know, unfortunately, Viva Venegas uh, got kind of torn apart by a USL player. Um, he eventually, I think, Venegas eventually got back into the game. Um, it was not also not all Viva's problem. I think that Joe Greenspan, who started in center back with Brent Coleman, didn't have a particularly good night. I think Joe didn't protect uh, Viva very well, and um, so Viva got Viva w- was the one who obviously got burned, but I think it wasn't necessarily his fault. Um, but after the fifteenth minute, Minnesota starts coming back in. They start pushing. They start connecting a little bit. And that's when uh, Molino does your boy, who you really wanted uh, Heath to sign after this uh, game. I'm not sure if I'm not right. sure if we're going to sign him. Fair enough. But he Ray Gattis, you're he next. does Zarek Valentine Valentine all kinds of dirty. Just takes him, takes the ball around him, runs around him, does a little dance, basically like 
stops time, pulls the guy's pants down, you know. Happy uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then and then he shoots at Nella. At uh, former loon Jeff Atnella. Yeah, former loon Jeff this Atnella. Is yeah. The biggest goalkeeper trade in world soccer yeah. in 2016 was Jeff Atnella. Take that, Joe Hart. Uh, he parries the ball, and then it falls to Johnny Vegas, who's on the spot. Johnny on the spot. Ding, ding, ding. And he heads <laughs> the ball in. It's pretty pretty easy there. But then, basically, six minutes later, um, there's a, a, a... Let's see. I think... Uh, who Who... I forget how the interplay goes. How it gets uh, to... counterattack gets to Venegas, who passes it centrally to Kadri, who does some spin move back heel pass. Yeah, it was amazing. It was it was some uh, it was some FIFA FIFA mm-hmm. stuff, uh, and then yeah, back heels to uh, to Johnny, and Johnny just puts it right between Atnella's legs. It was a very sexual goal. It was. It was just very pretty. It was very... the darling Nikki of goals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know what that means. What? Prince song, Darling Nikki. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm not a big Prince fan. Okay. <laughs> I know that that's like really it is. not appropriate to say. Not at all. I'm really glad that people love Prince. <laughs> I respect his musicianship, but okay. I, don't, I don't think he's a good songwriter. He Interesting. Was. He was not. So anyway, so I don't know most Prince songs. Send your questions to him. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'd hate to admit that. I know that everyone's this. everyone's like... This is the one that's going to take us down. <laughs> so um, that was it. Was an absolutely beautiful first half because also you had Bashkim Kadri sent in a fantastic shot that ricocheted off the off the crossbar. Um, he later in the second half had an amazing shot that um, was Atnella still in. I think Atnella was still in. Yeah, had to um, cre- you know weirdly dive, amazingly dive to to Perry. Also, you know, so it could have been four nothing uh, Minnesota, but it also could have been three nothing Portland in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, and in those first fifteen minutes, I think one thing we overlooked was that Elfie had a pretty remarkable reaction save, um, where he was caught. Portland got a cross over his head, and it was essentially an open net for uh, who is the guy who was terrorizing Minnesota for the first fifteen minutes? Our not Arbeloa. It sounded like Arbeloa. Shenandoah. Yep. Yep. Arda Baloa, Arby's Baloney got the ball and was going to just kick a low shot into the corner, and Elfie dove across and made a pretty impressive stop. Yeah, he had a few. He was, you know, in the Vancouver game, he was a little bit shaky. He still, we'll talk about this next goal, second half. Mm -hmm. Another time where he punches the ball to the top of the box, the ball falls to someone, this time not Russell Tybert. This time to Jack McInerney. McInerney brings the ball down, runs into the box, puts it into the roof of the net. Um, so I think there are some problems still with, with Alfie, but he looked much yeah. better. Um, and I think anytime we, we talk about who in the defense wasn't looking good, the defense is still, you know, this was all second string defense. Everyone's still a bit shaky. And so that goal... Brent Coleman was kind of the one blamed for it. Um, he was definitely flat-footed, definitely got taken, didn't react in time. But right. Joe Greenspan also did that at the top of the box. And it started with a really asinine turnover by Ibsen. Yes. So yeah. like, so I think that the, it's all preseason, right? Those are stereotypical preseason goals where it's just... Or late 2016 Loons goals. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, or any any era loons pick goals. pick your year pick your yeah. Minnesota team. But so I, I yeah. think that like when we kind of assign blame to players and say people weren't good because I saw people say, oh Joe Greenspan looked good, Brent Coleman didn't because of that goal. I was like, well, Joe, I don't know. Joe, I don't think had a particularly good game, but it's also preseason. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there, that anyone can make any. Uh, even about Jermaine Taylor, we didn't talk about in the Vancouver game. Yeah. He was obviously playing out of position and not. He was not very fit. Right. I promise you, I will forget season. all of these games in two weeks. Seriously, but, all of them. Um, so I try to think about what are the positives that, or what are the things that you can say that that you actually that the conclusions that you can actually make, rather than the conclusions you should not make. Fair. Okay. So then let's play stock up, stock down. Um, yeah. On these first two games, 
Um, who's impressed you the most? Like, who who do you think? Uh, we had our assumptions. We talked about Kevin Molino. Yep. But, but but his stock was always up. Yeah, you know. But I'm I'm looking at like who are the guys who before yeah. any of these preseason matches you didn't really consider as part of the bigger picture, and suddenly you're like they have to be. I mean, you wrote the article about depth, right? This question about depth, and I think that that's absolutely true. The problem with Min- we've talked about it on the show. Problem with Minnesota is not who's going to be in the best eleven, who's in our starting eleven. I mean, but who are the twelve through eighteen going to be strong enough? I think I'm after last night's game because it was almost all those people, you know, t- the 12 through 25s people. Um, it was almost all them. I felt much better about the depth, right? I think Brent Coleman actually has had two pretty good games. Yeah. Um, not not great, but I would say in my mind he's done enough to be the third center back. I think I've seen enough of that. I'm your other choices are Greenspan and Taylor. Yeah, I'm still not ready to make that. But sure, okay, great. I, I think that in, you know Bruce uh, um, put this in the in the comments of of my uh, game recap that he you know there were Brent was had a, a few problems and my my response to him was sure he did but he had a couple times where he Valeri or Blanco I forget I think it was Valeri came after him mm-hmm. and he stood tall and got the ball and and cleaned it up he. He had three or four really good clearances. I think that he has been surprisingly good, not ready to start MLS. No. In the least. But I felt better, like, if if he needs to go in, I think that he can play a few games this year and actually be solid. Sure. Um, On the other side of the ball, I'll say uh, Kadri. We've talked about him a little yeah. bit, but he went from before these matches, I thought, okay, well, he was hurt so much that he'll just be the automatic one on the bench, and you'll work him into the rotation, yeah. and now, like you said, it's a good problem, but he's a player that you want to make sure is on the field and around the ball and around the net as much as possible. Yeah, him and Schuler, I've been the most excited about. In terms of, but before they came in, I thought, like, everything I've heard about these people makes me really excited. People mm-hmm. keep on t- saying pretty amazing things. That was Calvo for me, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, Ca- yeah. and Calvo, I think, will prove to be good. So in terms of other other people whose stock went up, um, uh, Colin Martin played in central midfield next to Ibsen, and he, I thought there were, there were some moments, there was one moment in particular that stood out where three guys were around him, and he kind of turned on the ball, Moved a little bit and passed it away. Like he had, it was just super cool on the ball. I think that, I think that he definitely will play in the central midfield this year. I don't know if he, yeah, he he didn't work himself into a starter in that role, but I, I thought like, holy crap, he's our, he was our number five or six, right? Mm-hmm. If if you imagine Schuler, Said, Warner, and Ibsen are the, are the the four in front of him, right? Yeah. Um, damn, if he's if that's that's really good depth. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. very excited about that. Um, Were there any players then, just quickly, that um, either you've tempered your expectations on, or you would say outright stock down? Yeah, I'm. I I again, I, I think negative conclusions about players is just I don't think it's fair to yeah. to, to them. Um, I I think it's very it's unfair that. Divilardi, Diviardi, however you're going to mm-hmm. say it, is being having to f- try out for this team in a position that he's not as comfortable in. Yeah, that's fair. He wasn't terrible. I mean, he wasn't even bad at times. Uh, the last 30 minutes, he was not very good in the Portland game, but um, that's because the first team from Portland came on and was attacking him. Right. But it, so I feel kind of bad for the guy. I don't think he'll get he'll get a contract and. You know he's that's not his position, so it's kind of unfair mm-hmm. to him. But I think he'll get a contract. But I think that he's not close to seeing the field right now for the regular season. Um, he is someone who played defensive midfielder primarily in college, and now he's playing left back. Um, so I, I think that he's worked his way to alone. The one place that's kind of worrying me is goalkeeper depth. I understand wanting to get Alfie a lot of reps so that he's as ready as possible for March third, but we haven't seen like anything from the backups really but a goalkeeper is different i mean a goalkeeper is you don't rotate i mean but, the same way but like, i mean even like in a camp cupcake which is like 
a preseason for the international team, they'll do at least one match where they sub out in the 45th minute. And just say 45 to Nick Romano, 45 to Yarborough. And I believe that Heath told Grader, to Andy Grader from the Pioneer Press, that uh, that there will be a, a one of the backup keepers will get some minutes in this next game. Sure. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think Alfie should be on the pitch every minute. If we think he's our guy, he's our guy. Okay. Um, I would say that this, but in my mind, the, the counterpoint to that is I think that's really worked. If Carducci is the one to get the minutes um, on Wednesday, which who knows, but if he is, I think that could be a really good chance for him to work his way into a contract. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the last thing I'll say is we definitely need two, two fullbacks. Mm-hmm. We, need a, 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 we need a left back and a right back. Um, whether that's Alvin Jones, who got a little bit of time last night, and to be honest, I... I just didn't notice he was on the pitch, so yeah. he wasn't getting destroyed, which is a good thing. But yeah. I didn't notice much from him. Um, whether it's him uh, or or someone else, uh, you spoke to Heath today and asked him about this. He knows they need fullbacks; they're going to sign two fullbacks. Well, yeah, he said that they're going to be looking to bring in two, and that's the position that is most shallow. Um, and and he said that it, it's and, and I'll write something up on this tomorrow or on Tuesday or Wednesday, but. He, he, he said that he admitted that there's no way it's sustainable for them only to roster two fullbacks for the season. So it's something that we've been saying in the last few weeks. He, he's never played for, he's never coached a Minnesota team before. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, so we'll see. Um, it does go contrary to Minnesota history. Brent, Brian Coleman's coming out of retirement. Brian Coleman and Brent Coleman's going to play out of position too sometimes. So it looks like we're set. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's going to be something to keep your eyes on for the rest of the offseason, whether it's Alvin Jones um, or if they're trying to acquire someone else. But we didn't talk about this yet. You said you did say you spoke to Heath. He does not view Josh Gat, Gat as a right back. Right. I actually okay. I specifically asked that. Because I know that uh, Christian Hanage and Matt Doyle were like convincing themselves. Built a blanket for it. Yeah, yep, brought their easy bake in to make yeah. some s'mores, and then talked about fullback. Yeah, and and so I think we've we've basically hit all all the Minnesota news from this week. This week we do have the Wednesday game against Real Salt Lake. Did you get a sense of what kind of lineup we're going to see uh, from? Uh, I think he's going to keep on rotating. Okay, a bit. Uh, it, it's a matter of being able to see players um, get minutes, and that's kind of been his mo through this tournament. You asked him about Christian. Yep. Christian started in the first two matches, and so he wanted to see more out of Bundan Ladi, uh, being able to start, because there's a difference when you're trying to pick up, in even if every, the whole team is rotating, there's a difference in being like, you've been sitting for 60 minutes watching this, and suddenly you're in, um, compared to you're going right after warm-ups. So wanted to see what Abu could do, um, so I'm not sure who would start on striker on Wednesday, um, but the fact that Christian hasn't started yet in the Portland tournament isn't a sign that he wouldn't start. So, um, yeah. panic I, accordingly. I, I don't. I also. I was just seeing doubt about Christian. I was just like, Christian had a bad preseason last year. He had too. a decent shot though. Like a, a, a kind of. It looked. It wasn't quite as far out as far out as the uh, Railhawks season opener goal, but it was kind of reminiscent of that. It was just outside the box on the right side, and he forced Atanella, or uh, I think at that point it was Gleason, to make a diving save yeah. on it. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back, and there's lots of questions. Welcome back. It's the fifty-five-one show podcast. <laughs> show podcast. Yeah, we're doing questions now. We got this. Uh, I got an email from Dave Carey. Uh, it's a little bit long, so let me let me summarize. I do love these emails. I've had several this week, and uh, they they give me joy. Um, so he he said, "I've heard you and others refer to Heath's preferred tactics, but I'd like a deeper discussion. I've never watched any of his teams play, so I'm starting starting from scratch with his preferences." And he has like a list of questions here, and I don't know if any stand out. It's a to worksheet, you. yeah. But um, you know, basically things like so upon losing possessions, does he uh, prefer to immediately regain the ball or fall back, defend and counter? Um, do his attackers interchange positions frequently? Maintain more structure. What mm-hmm. some of this is what we know about Orlando, and I've said before, I didn't really watch that much Orlando sure. uh, when he was there. So I'm 
coming at it a little bit unaware. What can we learn about what we've seen so far? We've seen basically two different tactics from two different squads. Right. We do know that he prefers to play with possession of the ball, which, I mean, it's one of those things that you hear and you're like, no shit. Of course a team wants to have possession, but there are some teams that are better equipped to counterattack are fine trying to tire out the opponents and then catch them immediately as soon as there's a turnover, but Heath likes to have at least 60% of the ball in any single match, and he actually affirmed that to me this evening in our phone call. So um, that's when you know it means something. And Jeff, uh, you know... I won't do his accent. Try. I really want 60%. I, I haven't, I've got to spend more, more time listening to that, it that to, to preseason form. It's preseason form. Yeah. Um, um, so, so that's where a lot of his strength comes from. What that means, though, is that there isn't necessarily like a hallmark, okay, once they get the ball back, are they looking to just catch him on the count? Now, the the goal that, or the second Johnny Vegas goal was a counterattack goal. Yeah. And and so, in, in fairness, I mean, got results. And part I, I, of that... I, I think that there there is the amount of speed that, that is with this team that you have with this team, there are going to be a lot of counterattacks with this mm-hmm. team. You would expect that. That's w- going to be one of their strengths. And and having a possession-based team does not necessarily mean you're not a counterattacking team. Our, our, the stereotypical Arsene Wenger Arsenal team was always a possession-based team that eventually hits you on the counterattack because of the, their positioning. Like, like they lull you the, yeah, until the right moment. And, yeah. and that's what, and that's that's because there's a lot of movement around on the ball, and they'll create some things, but they also are a quick team, and so a lot of stuff happens from counterattacks. That, that's the way. People, the biggest takeaway is that this is a team that definitely is looking to attack. I know there's some true north elite and Arsenal fans who's. Uh, uh, Loons fans who are like really excited that they're like, wait, Heath is gonna, yeah. And then there are Liverpool yeah, that's fans right, who guys. are hearing constant pressure and and giving up. Goals. And, but that's a good question for 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 Dave. Uh, you know, if Dave's asking these questions, one thing is, I w- is this a you know, Carl wanted the team to be a gag and press team. Always talked about that type of stuff. I don't get the impression that it's as much. Uh, certainly, they want pressure on the ball pretty high up. You know, it's not sitting back. But it doesn't seem to be quite as as uh, aggressively forward, uh, maybe. Yeah. And, and I, I'd be curious to maybe hear from from some of the coaching staff about. Well, it's that. early. He doesn't want to be aggressively forward too quick. He's playing the long game on this one. I think. Yeah. Happy Valentine's he's, he's Day. He's gonna he's gonna buy a couple drinks first. At and then, least, and then... yeah. I I think one thing that I've realized, and this is also the reason that we were so certain that he was going to play a 4-2-3-1. And then after realizing they didn't play that at all in the first two televised matches, it kind of struck me in the face like, no shit. He had to play a 4-2-3-1 in Orlando because he had Kaká. Yeah. Kaká's a player who has enough pedigree, and we've talked about this a couple of times, cost the owners so much that the owners had to play him or that they would be pissed off well, allegedly call Kaka would would literally call the owner and say and and bitch and then the yep. owner would call Heath, Heath so right. yes so yeah so Kaka had to be played had to be played and he and he only plays as a number 10 at this point of his career which meant that Kevin Molino who was who allegedly is great as a number 10 had to play on the right wing and then Kyle Laren had to play at striker. So there was so little flexibility with that that they had to line up in that 4-2-3-1 um, in order to give every player their best position. And so then with Minnesota now, we have the total opposite. Yeah. Where we don't have... And, and I'm not going to say it's a good thing that we don't have a designated player, but we don't have a player who's like, they are famous because they play one position. You know? Yes. So it gives a little more tactical flexibility... Which means yeah. we have to relearn Adrian Heath, which I think is probably more entertaining yeah. for me. I'd, and I'll say one thing to this is that you know I wrote the the tactics piece, um, and uh, th- this week of, of trying to make some observations. And so, Dave, if if you are mildly tactical, tactically astute, and you're watching these games, then send us like other people can make these notes. One of the things that drives me crazy, and I try to drive into the uh, all the writers with 55-1 is I hate when people make observations about soccer that are like, oh, this is what's happening. And this is, you know, um, the great thing about soccer is like, and the reason I like soccer writing is that you can open up 
uh, open up possibilities by making observations. Like, here's what I think happens here, mm-hmm. and here's what this will do. And then you can discuss that. There's not... There are not right and wrong answers no, in soccer. No, it's I why mean, I some, love... There's sometimes there are, but, like, for the most part, when you're talking about tactics, people, like, have... You know, people, like, including me, my tactical knowledge is, like, blinkered in some spaces. Sure. Um, and so... So I think that there should be more, like, interesting discussions about these things and not, like, people trying to effing, you know... Skip know. Bayless the hell out of it. Yeah, I don't even know who Skip Bayless is, but, but I'm it. sure, yeah, he's okay. one of those guys yeah. who just drives me fucking crazy. Yeah, um, and that's why I like, and here's here's our, my Valentine's Day plug, this is why I love the comment section at 55.1. Um, that was smooth, huh? Yep. Because it's a... Uh, lately... Um, over the last few months, especially since the off season kicked off, it's been a really good spot to have those discussions. Yeah, and and I, so far I've found that it's fascinating. I always will go back after twelve hours. Yeah, that an article that I post is up to because people have started to ask questions based off the articles, and I'm always happy to answer those questions. Yeah, and I, but discuss it and not like say this is right, this is wrong because I'm sure as shit not a master of this stuff. Yeah, and I think that you know it's it's really funny when. Uh, you know, like I said, expert people or something like that and engage with what I write and kind of point out or, or we discuss it. I, I learn things from that. And then I encounter absolute noobs and we kind of discuss it. And I, I think that soccer should be a much more fun thing. And so, Absolutely. And so, like, when I, and I hope that that tactical piece, like, kind of, uh, you know, that, that's the type of stuff that I want to be writing that, that is not know-it-all. Mm-hmm. Show off, but making observations and saying what what this is. So, Dave, if you have, if you or other people, if you have thoughts about, we're only listening about, to Dave about those tactics. Yep. Yeah, he's he, anyway. Um, this is from uh, a uh, a Jake Reuter. Yep, he says I'd be here curious to hear yours and Jeff's thoughts on our central midfield and the shift we've seen toward either a four one four one or a four two 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 in the last two two preseason matches. I think it was just a four four two, by the way. But yeah. That's just me. Um much has been made about the the uh, the fact that we only appear to have one number six, which is the hard man, the defensive midfielder, etc. I've been convinced that we absolutely needed to play with one or even two sixes on the pitch at all all time, but my thinking has started to change over the course of the preseason. What has to happen on the pitch for our midfield to work? with the current talent on the squad, particularly if we're lined up with two number eights, which are more box-to-box, more moving forward, etc. I haven't watched that much of Schuler, but my recollection of watching Columbus play is that Saeed is useful defensively, but not a classic six. Do you think that... Do the two of you think that we, or any other MLS team for that matter, can be successful without having a dedicated ball-winning number six on the pitch? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you three weeks ago you would have said no. Right. Oh, completely fair. But I also completely discredited the idea that this team could play without a classical number 10. And so if if you're in a Heath, if if you're in an Orlando Adrian Heath system and you have a slow attacking minded only player like Kaka, don't at me, Kaka, um, playing as your number 10, of course you need at least one number six. Of course you need Aguita to be on his game every single week, and you're going to bring in Servando Carrasco to try to plug in that other spot. But if you're able to have this kind of fluidity, and you're willing to have your wingers tuck inside and maybe hold back on a certain attack, like I could see Miguel doing possibly, um, or if you're able to play Saeed and Schuler, that's who I'm looking at right now as my opening week starters in the center midfielder, Saeed and Schuler, And I think Saeed, like Jake alluded to, I actually don't think he was even that good defensively in Columbus. There was a stretch of about six games where Will Trapp was having concussion issues in Columbus last season, and Saeed was the primary sub-in as the six because Tony Johnny, I don't even know where Tony Johnny was at that point. That's a good question because he would have played that role. And Saeed played that role and got torched. And that's not an indictment on Saeed as a player as a whole. It's just that that wasn't the right position for him, and he had no backup and cover at all, which is fine. But I, I, I would sorry. Finish your thought. I guess the thing is, sorry. if if you're not going to play with a number six, kind of a ball winning, or like you said, a hard man. Happy Valentine's Day. What it means is that what you're going to need is a true pair of box to box kind of double pistons 
in the midfield who's willing to say, okay, this time Saeed is pressing forward into the attack and making those incisive passes, so Rasmus has to hold back. Or Schuler's going forward and Saeed has to hold back. And I'd, I'd say two things. The first is that you have to consider the opposition's tactics. If you've got a 4-4-2 and you need to drop someone in there, or you've got something where you need to drop someone in to do more cover for their attack, then you're going to need someone, yeah, who can stick back, who they know that their job is just, and they're not tempted to go forward. Mm-hmm. So that having a six is, de- having someone who can start as a six is needed, yes. But you don't necessarily need a six every week, right? Because your, right. your tactics are not simply what is the best thing that we want to line up to go forward. But you also have to think about, you just need people to to play particular roles, not not players to play particular positions, right? So right. if you are playing f- far enough forward that you've got a, um, <clears throat> a center back who can move forward and kind of break those plays up and is kind of sitting a little bit in front of his center back partner, then you don't need a six, right? Sure. I mean, that person can, can do some of that. But it may be that you have to adjust. So sometimes you can rely on that. And sometimes you, you do the double pistons. There's a lot of different ways that you can do this. I don't think you need a, du- a number six on the pitch at all times. And you don't need the empty bucket double six. So what we're saying is that 10 plus six is 16, but eight plus eight is also 16. Oh, wow. If well. we actually created a theory like that, I'd be impressed. Just as I will say, though... You do need to have some interest in defense with those midfielders. Otherwise, you're going to have Lampard Gerard with those English teams in the mid-2000s. And that did not yeah, work. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that was another problem of, of having douchebags in your midfield. But Douchebags um, in the midfield. Yeah, uh, let's, let's go to the... Let's do some quickies here. Yeah, do this. Uh, um, Mark Fangmeyer at MR Fangmeyer asks, Any chance Minnesota United will gain some fullback depth from uh, Vancouver's Montero deal? Yeah, this is uh, Vancouver. Apparently, is bringing Freddie Montero in on loan. That's weird. Freddie Montero, former Seattle player, who was sold. Uh, so if he comes back to MLS, he's subject to allocation. Mm-hmm. Who's at the top of allocation? Minnesota, Minnesota United. So Minnesota needs to get paid off for that spot. And so the question is, does that you know? He is. Yeah. So do Van- we get a Vancouver fullback? Out so of that? Vancouver is fifth on the allocation rank. Um, Quick question, uh, something that I saw tweeted at me, but I forgot who. Um, if Minnesota was to make a trade with Vancouver, it's not that Minnesota would jump down to second, it's that they would jump down to that fifth spot and then bump back up to fourth once Vancouver uses it. So yes, it would mean Minnesota is not the top of the chain anymore. Um, I guess the player, if I'm looking at a player, I'm looking at Shannon Williams, who can play left back or right back, but Vancouver, I think, just acquired him this offseason. So um, yeah, we I joked about the... Yeah, it, it's, it's most unlikely. likely just money. They'll find they'll be finding there are plenty of fullbacks available. You know, um, we mentioned uh, previously Gaddis Valentine Valentine uh, Dan Gargan's always available. Yeah, <laughs> so there's that. Um, Dan Gargan retire probably, but he's always available. Um, See, L.A. guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I met him at, in L.A. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, you're doing, he yeah, totally yeah. did not look like a player. Yeah. Because I just, I, Dan, he's not a player that I would have like seen. I was like, someone introduced me to him. And I later realized, <laughs> oh, it's Dan Gargan. Oh, because he, <laughs> right. he looks like a, you know, he looks fit, but he looks like a. Like a fit guy he had in glasses. LA. He had yeah. like cool, hip, nerdy glasses. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's people. Dan Gargan is still available. He's retired, but. Always. Um, what's most likely got at. Right back got in midfield and Minnesota add another fullback or got in minefield and and hopes hopes first that off, Viva and Davis work. First off, this tweet is from Austin Lloyd at yeah. a Lloyd underscore one. Let's, so, let's let's play the minefield. Yeah, I mean, I just I think that the guys haven't had enough injuries, so let's leave him alone. Um, I like the idea of leaving him in the minefield, not the minefield. Yeah, the minefield. Yeah, uh, I, I Gat's gonna play right wing and Gat's gonna start right wing. Wait, is he Molino? Where's Molino gonna go? It, that's that's what's fun. I'm actually, I will say, it's a pain. And for the next three weeks, we're gonna be writing about four different versions of the same article between the two of us. But I think it's a lot of fun. The fact that there's so many questions and that there's actually players worth starting. The problem is all of them have injury problems, long term injury problems. 
Kadri, uh, um, Gott, and Molino have all had and long-term injuries. So problems. Venegas and Ibarra have the leg up, apparently. Yeah. Um, this is from Orlando Spurs. Uh, what number one? What do I have to do to for you to all send me a Josh Gott jersey? Number two, how to cope with two injury-prone attacking mids? Answer to number one: uh, send us money via PayPal to cover the jersey, and sure, I guess we'll be the middleman there. Answer number one is that Minnesota United has a website. Yeah, I don't know. Number two is uh, you can't uh, the big injuries. They'll happen. You know, you can't. That's why you need depth. That's why you need like people. You know, we've said this before. It's like people seem to get upset when when you have like two people who you want to start. No, that's good. That is good. That is good for everyone. The fact that we have five really top players. Fighting for three spots is very good. And we've forgotten that we have two strikers that we both rate yeah. in and, Ramirez and, and, and now Dunlady. Johnny Vegas could play that spot as well. Yeah, and Kadri. Why not? Let's get weird. Yeah. So so um, this is from Tyler Hansen. Uh, based on what we saw last night, this is the, the Portland game, do you think that there's a chance that Johnny Vegas is the opening day starter up top? Not alone. I think that he would, it's hard because he's, I mean, a second striker implies that there's a target man, and right now there isn't, like, an Alan Gordon who's just a, a more realistic target. I mean, obviously you dream of, like, a Fernando Adi who is just standing up, or not, he's just standing there waving and waiting for you to pass, but, like, someone who's able to just kind of camp out at the six yard and head in crosses. We don't have that guy. Well, I, I think... Not necessarily that, but you at least need someone pushing and stretching the back line, right? Someone who's who's kind of pulling the make creating space so that the defenders are pulling back a little bit and there's more space between the defenders and the midfield. Uh, I, whether or not they need to be, a, they don't necessarily need to be a target person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- I think why not? I mean, you could see that same thing there. I mean, we do have to remember that what we saw last night was. Those really top players are number one players against a complete a B squad backline, right? Well, that wasn't even our top players. The well, attack I, was pretty close to it, but yeah, like, that, but I mean, our, 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 when Venegas and um, Bashkim Kadri are, are playing around those guys and, and messing with them, mm-hmm. they are, you know, this is a Copenhagen player and, uh, you know, a, a Costa Rican international playing around with. Zarek Valentine, out of position. Valentine, who's yep. a, who's a fullback, who's playing as a left center back. I mean, so it's not. We should be excited because it looked awesome, but temper it. Yep. Um, I, I think yes. I think that he certainly showed that you could have that, and you can have these two secondary strikers, two, two you know, Kadri and and uh, Vegas playing it off of each other. Yeah, why not? I still think that Christian's your best striker. I think that. Um, as infuriating as he is sometimes, uh, he he's magical. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it it certainly is a good good question. The last question is from Dan Mick is Grant Wall just the most incredible soccer take pendulum on the pan- planet? Uh, did he? Did when he was s- the pendulum swing? Yeah, did he say something? Oh, positive uh, he did another mailbag last week. Well, Bruce asked and him Bruce a question, asked- and he said, I, "I'm not going to answer any questions because <laughs> I made so many uh, enemies last time." I think, I think, I, I, I think most people are joking when they talk about Grant Wall because, like, about what, hating him or about uh, yeah, talking about, about him, him, where they're just like Grant think, Wall wrote a column and like that's a joke. Yeah, like he's evil. Okay. I think it is absolutely hilarious, and I think absolutely we should be singing. Are you watching? Are you watching Grant Wall every time we win? I think that would be absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. But what he said. Most of what he said was simply was probably right. I haven't talked to the same people he was talking to, but I'm sure everyone around this league was talking about Minnesota doesn't look like they'll be good. Well, they didn't have any players, but so the they were a forfeit but, every but week. But those people still are in con- contact, and they hear they know what kind of people players that Ma- Manny was talking about. They know the kind of budget that we're looking at. Yeah, and they legitimate Heath wasn't even here right Heath and Amos McGee were not there so you had a bunch of NASL people coming into the league saying hey we want to put together a team with no DPs completely on a budget of course they're going to say this is going to be a terrible team the only thing Grant said was that he the only thing that Grant said that was his opinion was 
they're going to have a, oh, the over under is at five, five games. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only part that was his opinion. But yes, we should absolutely make Grant Wall jokes. Good. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, final thoughts. Um, watch on Wednesday. Team heads off to Orlando for a couple of games. Um, They're coming back here for like three days. Yeah, so, and yeah. I'm hoping to catch like the entire team for a piece I'm doing. Yeah, and it's going to so be you just impossible have to catch them all. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, great. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please subscribe uh, on whatever podcast and uh, and and leave iTunes reviews. I actually went back and read a, a few of them, and they were very nice. Cried a little. So yeah, yeah please thank you. Um, we also have the patron website. Uh, I didn't bring up. I should plug next week, but please go check that out. And uh, and if you like what you hear, just uh, donate a couple bucks a, a month. It's not really. It's literally not a big deal. But thank you for all who have done that. Uh, 